Last week we were in the Gospel of Luke, and Luke actually wrote more than just the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote almost a quarter of the New Testament. And after the Gospel of Luke, what comes next? Acts. Acts, that's right. It's the book of Acts. That's the passage. Uh, the passage we're in this morning will be in the book of Acts or from the book of Acts. Luke is about the, the story of Jesus and his birth and his life and his ministry, his death and his resurrection. And the story of Jesus goes on. Even after he is resurrected and ascended to God, the story goes on in the birth of the church. What does it mean for there to be a birth of the church including in 2012 today. We have this wonderful rose up here for the birth of a baby, right? Mike and, Mike and uh, Sherry Garut have a new granddaughter in their lives, born to Albert and uh, just blanked on Robin's name. Robin, and it's Michaela. Michaela must be named after you, huh? Michaela Lynn, named after her sister. So we understand that kind of birth, and what does it mean to birth the church today? in 2012. I want you to be thinking about that, what it means to be the church, what it means to be the church today in 2012, what it means for us here at Trinity to be the church. And last month on February 12th at our congregational meeting, I talked about what I think uh, the church looks like today and should be looking like today. And uh, I was asked to actually bring that same message to you this morning, which I am going to do. But uh, for you, I want you to be thinking about it, too, as you hear the scripture. And then after I say what I think, I'm going to ask you to say what you think to the people that are sitting near you, okay? That's a, that's a warning right there. <laughs> All right. So turn with me to the book of Acts. This is chapter 2. And anyone who has it in the Pew Bible that can shout out a page, that's helpful. 120, thank you. So that's in the back of the Bible in the New Testament, Acts chapter 2. So what has happened is Jesus was raised from the dead, and uh, he appeared to his disciples for, for 40 day, 50 days, actually, 40 days, I can't remember now. And uh, after that, he told them to wait in the city for the promise of God's power, God's spirit to come upon his disciples. So they did. They waited and they prayed and they waited and they prayed. And the Spirit of God did come upon them in a powerful way and sent them out immediately into the streets, speaking all the languages of the people that were in Jerusalem, proclaiming how great God is. And the people thought that they were drunk, but no, Peter gets up and says, they're not drunk. This is actually, God is doing this work. This is about Jesus, who you killed, who is alive who is God's Messiah, who is God's King. So this is what happened next. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 38. And let's pray as we prepare to hear God's word. Spirit of God, we pray that you would fall upon us here and that you would help us to hear the word that you have for us this day, that we may be your people and be your witnesses in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 2, beginning at verse 38, listen to God's word. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you, for your children 
and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. I'm going to read that verse again because it's an important verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching about Jesus and fellowship, which is koinonia, the bond we have in Christ, to the breaking of bread, which is the sacrament, and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. So you know who the patron saint is for San Francisco, right? St. Francis of Assisi. And the story goes that when St. Francis, this is way back in the 12th century, about the 1200s, he was praying in this town in Italy, and he was praying in front of a cross, and the cross is the San Damiano cross. And as he was praying in front of this cross there in the village of San Damiano, he had a mystical experience. Jesus Christ spoke to him directly and called him by name and said, Francis, Francis, you see how my church is in need of repair. Rebuild my church. Francis took that very seriously, and so he did what probably anybody would have done. He started working on the church building, and so totally rebuilt the church building, but then realized that Jesus wasn't talking about the building. And so Francis actually spent the rest of his life building a community and eventually not just of men but of women too of people who lived out and followed the ways of jesus they lived simply they lived in poverty they lived in solidarity with the poor and their sole guide if you can put up the next slide was this particular i can't even read it to follow the teachings of our lord jesus christ and to walk in his footsteps that's what it meant to rebuild the church, he discovered. We studied St. Francis and the history of the church in seminary courses that I took this last January. And coming to these classes, uh, there were people from all over the world, and one of the students there is actually from Christ Church, New Zealand. And she pastors a downtown cathedral church, a Methodist church, and you probably know what happened in New Zealand in September 2010. I know Angie knows what happened in New Zealand in 2010. What happened in Christchurch? Huge earthquake. And it demolished about a third of the downtown area in Christchurch. That's the name of the city. And also the eight downtown churches, cathedral churches, you can put up the next slide, um, all but one of them could no longer be used, including her church. 
This church was built in 1864, and so her congregation agonized over what to do, whether or not to try to rebuild the church and to make it like it was, to make it like it was when it was built in 1864, this wonderful cathedral with a huge pipe organ. And after agonizing over this for many months, they finally decided not to rebuild it the way it was. At the end of the class, I went up to this pastor. Her name's also Mary, interestingly enough. And I said, you know, Mary, I, I just find it so profound that you work in a city that is named Christ Church. And I don't know what it's been like for you as we've been in this class and we've studied St. Francis and we've heard the words that he heard from Jesus to rebuild my church. That has to have been so powerful for you. And I looked at her and I said, I, I think we have a lot to learn from you. I think we have a lot to learn from you as you are rebuilding because we too are trying to figure out how to build Christ Church today. And she was very sweet. She took my hands in hers and she looked me in the eye and she had tears in her eyes and she just thanked me. And I think she had this sense of solidarity that we were standing together um, for the same purpose and supporting one another in it. So why did I tell her that I think we have a lot to learn from them in Christ Church? I said that to her because though we have not experienced this kind of earthquake here, I think in this country and in the church in our day, we have experienced a very slow earthquake over many decades that has rattled and shaken the church down to its foundations, literally. This church was started in 1955, and in the 1950s, the church was still very much at the center of our culture. People kept Sunday free. There were no places open. There were no things scheduled on Sunday. People went to church. Most people in this culture went to church and took their families to church. People looked to the church with respect. They looked to the church for wisdom and for guidance, not just those who were really involved in the church, but even the culture looked to the church for the voice of wisdom. That is not the way it is today, is it? That is not the way it is today. Of course, you know, nothing really is not open on Sundays practically, and nobody really cares if they schedule things on Sunday. People don't necessarily look to the church now for guidance and for support. In fact, many people look at the church with disdain and with great suspicion, right? That's called post-Christendom. We are no longer in an era where people are looking to the church to be the center and the guide and the wisdom for our culture. The church has been pushed to the sidelines. That's a slow earthquake. When this church was started in 1955, March 13th, 1955, when it was chartered, the main reason that San Carlos, that we started this church here, was because there was no Presbyterian church in San Carlos. That's when denominations were very much a rallying point for people as they gathered in church and faith communities. And so the fact that there wasn't a Presbyterian church was a real motivation for people to come together and start a new church in San Carlos. Well, since the 1960s, mainline denominations and churches have been in decline, including the Presbyterian church. 
Whereas today, people don't really care so much about a denomination, and in fact, sometimes people try to hide the fact that they're in a denomination. They'd like to make that a little bit invisible. So that, the church has declined in terms of um, Presbyterian numbers. Right now, the average age of Presbyterians is over 60. And these trends have definitely impacted Trinity. We have seen our own numbers gradually decline, and since uh, about seven years ago, our worshiping numbers are 100 less on Sunday morning than they were then. It's a slow earthquake. The beauty of not having that kind of earthquake is that we haven't had to go through the trauma that they've gone through, which is very traumatic. And I think my friend Mary was suffering post-traumatic stress uh, kind of repercussions of that. But the bad news for us when you go through a slow earthquake like this is that it's easy for us to live in denial and to pretend like it's just not happening and to try to hang on to the church the way we have known it and loved it and the way we want it to be in our culture. But we're not going back, friends. We're not going back. We're not called to build that church the way it was. I think Jesus is speaking just as loudly and just as clearly for us today to rebuild his church. But how? How does he want us to rebuild it? I think it helps for us to look at what Jesus taught the disciples in the first place about what it means to be his people in the world. And I'm remembering when he sat down with them at table uh, to celebrate the Passover and shocked them all by taking a towel and bending over and getting water and washing their filthy feet. And he said right then, in that teaching moment, it was a teaching moment, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just like I've loved you you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I believe this is what Jesus is telling us here at Trinity, that this is the way we are to rebuild the church, that people will know our calling People will know that Jesus is indeed alive and is exactly who he says he is, that he is Lord, that he is Savior, that he is bringing a new creation through his death and resurrection. People will know that, not so much because we're telling them that, but because of the way that we love one another, especially the unloved and especially the needy. You know, Trinity has been good at loving from our beginnings. Loving our children, raising our children, the the nursery school and the way that that nursery school has come together and has hung on to being such a great place for shaping and molding the lives of our children. The loving our seniors, the program, FISH program, driving people to their appointments, just this dear and practical way to come alongside people who don't have anybody to give them a ride. That came out of this church and some of the leaders of this church. And the sparks of what God's Spirit is doing now are the very things that are sending us out into the streets to stand with the homeless, 
with the mentally ill and with the addicted and to be a part of street church. They're sending us out into our neighborhood. That's what the Spirit is doing now. To Redwood High School, we'll talk more about that in a minute, and to the students that are part of that continuation high school. The Spirit of God has been sparking like that. Leaders in this church, like John Edmonds, who helped start Hope House, like Brian Lennon, who helped start Village Enterprise in Africa. That is the way Jesus wants to build the church. Now, that's a different way of thinking about church, isn't it? That is a different way of thinking about what it means to be the church and what it means to build the church. So how do we do this? How do we build in this kind of way that Jesus instructed his disciples and is instructing us as well? Well, I find it interesting in this Acts passage, I think there's some instruction here because I think for us to live this calling, uh, we will be a church that says an enthusiastic yes to six different things. You know, you you heard the disciples when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, when they were moved out into the world to be the incarnation, the little Christ, the witnesses to the fact that Jesus is alive. They said they devoted themselves. In my mind, that means devoted. They were like, yes, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to certain practices, to koinonia, the connection with other believers, to breaking bread together, to prayer There are essential practices that transformed them and caused them to be this people that were working signs and wonders, the greatest of which was the fact that they were willing to give up their possessions and their wealth and to share with those who were in need. That's drastic. To sit down with people who were poor, who were of a totally different socioeconomic class than they were. And this transformed them to love one another the way Jesus loves us. That's because they were devoted. They said an enthusiastic yes to these practices. I want to name six that I think are essential for us. If we are going to love one another the way Jesus loves us, and especially the unloved and those who are needy. First thing we will say yes to, we will say an enthusiastic yes to schooling ourselves and our children in the way of Jesus Christ. We all know how important schooling is. Anything that is important to us, we want to be schooled. We want to be taught by the best. And not just a one-shot deal. If it's really important, we want to be taught in a way that's going to help us integrate it into our daily lives and into our homes, right? Same way with the way of Jesus. This schooling needs to be something that's ongoing. It can't just be when we gather here. It has to be something that you are integrating into your everyday life and into your homes which is why children's ministry team, this is their vision, to equip you, parents. You are the greatest teachers in your home and what you're doing every day and what you're leading your children to do. You, grandparents, all of us in our daily lives, that we are saying yes to the apostles' teaching, to learning the way of Jesus constantly, constantly around that. Enthusiastic yes to schooling ourselves and enthusiastic yes to living more simply as a church, and also in our homes. This means instead of saying yes to putting more things into my schedule, yes to more things, buying more things, having more things in my life, I'm actually saying yes to getting things out of my schedule, getting things out, giving them away instead of purchasing more for me. And even as a church, we're trying to simplify. So instead of having more meetings 
and more things that you need to be committed to and are invited to, we're actually collaborating and collapsing and simplifying so there's fewer meetings. So that at the great getaway weekend, the deacons will have their meeting there. The session will have their retreat there. Instead of having a choir, separate choir concert, the choir will be singing on Palm Sunday. So it's all simplifying, collaborating, trying to spend more money giving away our goods and our wealth to those who don't have instead of spending it on us. Living more simply as a church and in our homes because that's the way Jesus lives. And not only that, it also makes us more available to love one another and to be generous with others. Saying enthusiastic yes to schooling ourselves, to living more simply. What is the third one? I can't remember. Oh, to knowing and loving the needy. Building relationships with those who are poor. This is one of the great yeses that will school us the most. So instead of just giving money and giving our support and giving our prayers to actually be in relationship with those who are poor, makes us more aware of the inequities, makes us want to do something about it. So when we get to know the women at Hope House, when we're actually involved with this service project with Redwood High School, um, with the, yeah, Redwood High School on April 28th, the students are going to come and work with us on that Saturday morning. So we'll get to know the principal who's coming next week, Frank Wells, to tell us more about the school. I hope you all stick around and get to know him and build a relationship with him because that is the way God works, is through relationships, relationships with the poor. Because then we actually meet Jesus, we see we are in solidarity with the poor, we care what are their names, what are their lives. It is the way that God works in terms of connecting us to love the unloved and those who are needy. We will also say an enthusiastic yes to serving Christ church, without which we cannot love one another the way Jesus loves us. Every hero you know who is living out a life that looks a lot like Jesus, they are formed and shaped and sustained by a church. And so we have to do our part, whatever our part is, not saying yes to everything, but we've gotten pretty good at saying no to just about everything the church asks us to do, some. Some of you are saying yes too much. But to find that place, yeah, Anita's laughing over there. (laughs) Find that place where there is a need, you know your gifts can be offered. Praise God for the ones who are saying yes. Praise God, Phil Hayashida, thank you for saying yes to leadership and nominating, which is an important team that raises up the next generation of leaders. Praise God for those who say yes to being with our children and forming and shaping them. Praise God for the people that said yes to being an advisor from Mexico when we needed extra ones. So saying an enthusiastic yes to serving the needs of the community to help us love one another. An enthusiastic yes to, I cannot, oh, meeting in twos or threes, to mentor one another in the way of Jesus Christ. This was what they were devoted to when it says to the fellowship. Friends, we need the accountability, we need the wisdom and the understanding that comes from being with other Christians who are also devoted to the way of Jesus Christ. We cannot do this alone. Whether you can be in a small group, and some of you can't be in a small group, if you can't be in a small group, then to find one or two others who will be devoted to getting together with you regularly to listen to, to learn about, to understand more fully what does it mean 
to follow the way of Jesus Christ. Absolutely essential. This is what we're doing with our youth confirmation. We found mentors. It's what we're doing with our new members. We found people to come alongside. We have to have either dyads or triads or some kind of way. Otherwise, you're just going to be standing still or going backwards in terms of living out our calling. And the last one, which is not really the last one that we would say yes to, because it's the beginning and the middle and the end, and that is prayer. That's where the church began. They were waiting in prayer for the Holy Spirit to come. They were asking for what God wanted for them, for the desire to want what God wants for them. They were listening and paying attention to the movement of the Holy Spirit, absolutely dependent upon prayer. So we say an enthusiastic yes to these six things in order to be transformed, in order to be people who let the world know that Jesus is alive by the way we love one another, especially the unloved and those in need. This is where Jesus and the spirit of Jesus is moving us. Don't you sense it? I do. That's where the movement and the energy is going. People are so excited to do whatever they can to make Street Church in Redwood City, this church with no walls, basically a rescue mission with no walls, to be a place of God's love experienced among the homeless in Redwood City. It's why, you know, Patrick went to Africa, you know, because we are partnering with the poorest of the poor. We know these leaders. These leaders have been in our homes from Kenya, from Uganda. They were just here. Patrick's going to be talking about this today after our worship service. We should be sending people. We want to send more people to Africa if you want to go and see this amazing micro-grant program that's going on over there and the way it's transforming and loving those in need. The Spirit is moving us in this direction. This is how Jesus is calling us to rebuild. He's doing the building, but this is the building we're called to participate in, the building of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's what I think. And I think it's not going to happen overnight, right? This is something that is so new and so different for us. For the next three years, your new session, your new simplified session is going to let this be our marching orders and to see in three years how are we doing. Are we making decisions that are moving us in that direction as we build Christ Church?